he was agile, climbed up that sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was going to pass by that way. Now this tree, this tree, if you look at it in the original, this is a sycamore fig tree. This is a fruit tree. Uh, it's a particular kind of tree, and if you look at it in the original, you see there's a particular word that Luke uses, and being that he is a physician, uh, he uses a certain amount of exact language that you would expect from someone who is a physician, like Luke was. And so he's distinguishing it from other kinds of trees that are similar but are not fruit trees. So this is a sycamore fig tree. And it was early springtime when this is happening. So this tree is in full bloom. There's leaves, and, and, and that's the time of year that it is. Verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw Zacchaeus. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received Jesus joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, Jesus has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Mm. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation. Now, salvation's the same word that he used for the blind man that he healed on the side of the road. That word made well and salvation are the same words in the original. He says, today, salvation has come to this house. Because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I want to minister tonight from that passage, and I just want to stay in alignment with our theme that we've been in of one at a time from Luke chapter 19. If you would, lay your Bibles down. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now and ask him to bless our time together. In the name of Jesus, Lord, your word is blessed and your word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, I give your word access into my life. Pray that way right now. God, I give your word access into my life, into every category and area of my life. Lord, I want to yield myself to your word. I want to elevate your word above any preference or opinion that I may have. And Lord, I want to receive from you what you have to give unto me. And I want to be more like you, Jesus. Lord, empower your people and your church tonight in the name of Jesus. Lord, give us an empowering word from the Holy Ghost to send us out into the week and the month ahead of us. In the name of Jesus, let it be so. Why don't we clap our hands together and give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. In the passage we were in this morning at the end of Luke chapter 18, we see the events happen where Jesus heals the blind beggar that's outside of Jericho. And in doing so, Jesus not only heals somebody and performs a miracle, but Jesus gains a follower. He gains a disciple and a worshiper out of this man who had formerly been blind. He then, in this very beginning part of Luke chapter 19, Jesus continues on the road, and here in this passage, I believe the very same day, Jesus reaches the city limits of Jericho. 
People are starting to fill the streets of Jericho, Sister Brittany, like it's the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. It is nuts, okay? Because as if Jesus is not popular enough, Jesus is out on the outskirts of town and he heals a blind guy. Everybody's in an uproar. The, city, the streets of Jericho are full. There's all kinds of activity. It's wild. People are wanting to catch a glimpse of this Jesus of Nazareth. And then enter one of our main characters, Zacchaeus. We know one thing about Zacchaeus. He was short. He wasn't very tall. Now, yeah, he was a wee little man. Now, we know for a certainty, all they got to do is go back and do the archaeological stuff, and they can find out that people hundreds and thousands of years ago were shorter in general. They were just shorter, be it because of nutrition or, or whatever. They were just shorter in general. So to be called short in a land of the short people means that you must have been pretty small indeed. They even thought back then, this is foreign to us, but they even had a way of thinking back then that if you were a small person, that you were small of spirit. And that if you were a big person, you had a, a great spirit. You know, you were a person of great spirit. And they had this correlation between those two. That's just the way they thought back then. So I'm just painting a picture tonight of what they must have thought of this individual. This is how they, this is the esteem in which they held him. And not only that, but he is a tax collector. He's not just a tax collector, but he is a chief tax collector. He's the head tax collector, probably over the whole region. And he's rich. I read that and I think of a lot of times we look at our politicians. And we say, how do they get rich off of, off of that salary? Now, I don't need to know the answer to that question. It just bothers me, but I, I can go on with my life. I can fill in the gaps. But it does cause me to form an opinion, if we're being honest. Zacchaeus is a high-ranking public official a tax collector, a chief tax collector, and miraculously, he has become rich during his life of public service. And there's only one way, Sister Courtney, that you become rich as the chief tax collector, and it's that you are extorting, and you're overcharging and overtaxing the people and taking the rest for yourself. That's what Zacchaeus is doing. To be a tax collector back then meant you were working for the Romans. So Zacchaeus, while he was a Jew was employed by the Roman oppressors. And, he, and before we forget, he's not just a regular tax collector, the rank and file guy. He is the head tax collector, the chief tax collector. And so the Jews would look at somebody who was doing what he's doing, and they would not even count him among God's chosen people. It was almost they would excommunicate him entirely. He was just, he was just not an individual to be associated with. He's working in cooperation with the Romans. He's extorting his fellow Jews for profit. And he's probably the head officer of the whole region, which is to say only this, he's deeply embedded in the system. Deeply embedded in the system. 
probably a very familiar figure to everybody and probably a very unpopular figure. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. And so Zacchaeus climbs this sycamore, this fig tree. It's not a very dignified thing to do. When was the last time you climbed a tree? Okay, there's really no dignified way to do it, is there? I mean, I'm not going to climb a tree unless my hand is forced. Unless I absolutely have to climb the tree. Now, I can climb a tree, but it's not going to be pretty. And I really don't want anyone around filming it. Zacchaeus climbs a tree, probably in a very undignified way. And this particular tree we know was a tree that had big leaves. It's big leaves. And so it indicates to me that Zacchaeus had to climb a tree, but that Zacchaeus chose this particular kind of tree to climb, that this is a person who wants to see Jesus, but he feels safer out of the public eye. This tree with big leaves. He can, he can easily hide inside of this tree. I want to make two points before we go any further. There's a lot of people who match that kind of description, who desperately want to see Jesus, but for whatever reason don't feel safe getting too close, too visible, or too accessible. There's a lot of people like that. And secondly, sometimes people can't see Jesus even if they know that he's there. Do you think there's some symbolism here? With Zacchaeus? Now, I'm not going to be controversial, but I'm just going to say what I think. And you're welcome to disagree. And I don't think it's a heaven or hell issue. Some people think that in the garden, that that fruit that they ate was an apple. I guess it could have been. I wasn't there. But I do know there's only one, I know it's, it doesn't say it's an apple, but there's only one fruit, Sister Hannah, that's named in that whole chapter. It's a fig, because they took fig leaves and covered themselves. So it bears the reason for me, if I were scanning the whole chapter, looking for one single instance of a fruit being named, that might be the one that I lean towards if I'm trying to figure out what kind of fruit that it was. And that's neither here nor there. But Jesus has these repeated interactions with fig trees. Have you ever noticed that when you're reading the Gospels? Jesus is all the time having these interactions with fig. He finds Nathaniel sitting under a fig tree. He walks by a fig tree and doesn't find any fruit on it, and he curses it. That doesn't seem very fair because it's not even the right time of year, but he curses it anyways. Jesus is all the time hammering these fig trees. Throughout Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and sometimes it's positive and sometimes it's negative, but they just occur. They just come back onto the scene over and over again. And I don't think it's a big accident that that happens. I don't think it's a big accident that it appears here in Luke chapter 19 that Zacchaeus is trying to see God, but he's wanting to hide at the same time. It's exactly what Adam and Eve were doing in the garden, is it not? God's walking through the garden in the cool of the day. God's unavoidable. 
They want to see him. But what do they do? They're ashamed. And so they take leaves of a fig tree and they cover themselves. They cover their nakedness so that they would cover their shame and their guilt. And that's the condition that God finds Adam and Eve in in the Garden of Eden. I think there's some correlation between that and what's going on with old Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. I don't think it's a total accident that Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. But he also doesn't want to be very exposed and accessible. He wants to hide. He wants to stay out of sight. People are still doing that very same maneuver today. They've got an irresistible urge to see Jesus. But they've also got this uncontainable impulse to hide, to shield, to deflect. It comes from shame. It comes from guilt. It comes from sin. The adversary would love nothing more than to keep people shackled in bondage of sin and shame and guilt. The adversary would love nothing more than to keep God's people hiding, like Adam and Eve, like Zacchaeus, living in fear and intimidated by God. But that's not the will of God for his people. It's not the will of God that anybody be fearful or intimidated by an encounter with him. I talked this morning about the status quo, and I've come again tonight with the status quo in my crosshairs. We aren't going to negotiate with the adversary. The church is not going to settle for glimpses and crumbs. We're going to bind intimidation and fear, and we're going to loose boldness and authority. That's the kind of church that we are going to be in this age. Jesus was willing to upset the social norms. Jesus was willing to confront whatever the status quo may have been, the established order of things, because Zacchaeus was a soul. Adam and Eve were souls. God was not going to walk by them in the cool of the day and leave them in their brokenness and in their shame and in their guilt. Jesus wasn't going to walk by on that street in Jericho that day without at least addressing Zacchaeus, who was doing the very same thing that Adam and Eve had done all those eons before. We're having a revival of boldness in this season. We're having a revival of I'm not satisfied with the status quo. I'm not satisfied with tradition. I'm not satisfied with ritual or formality, but I want to see my loved ones saved. I want to see my coworkers come to the Lord. I want to see my friends and my family members sitting on the row with me at church, worshiping Jesus with me. I'm not satisfied seeing my loved ones lost. I'm not going to settle for my family being taken away from me and just surviving. 
But if you'll get this message in your spirit and in your crosshairs today that God is doing a work one at a time, you'll start to see the status quo or whatever the current state of affairs in your world is start to shatter. And you'll start to see a new season usher in. Season where there can be a fresh outpouring of God's spirit in your family. The only way that Zacchaeus feels like he can possibly see over the crowd is to climb into the nearest tree. The disciples, it's just left to our imagination, but based on what I know of the disciples, other places in the New Testament, the disciples in all likelihood thought that they were going to Jericho They've been out in the wilderness for a long time, out in the desolate places, because that's the only place Jesus can minister because there's all these crowds. They're finally going to this big city. They're thinking, boy, we are going to come into contact with some important religious figures. We are going to get to have an audience with the religious elite today. We're going to get access that we've never gotten before. All the Gospels have stories about fig trees. And they're not parables. They're actually stories. They actually happen. And they're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when Jesus comes to this sycamore fig tree, this fruit tree, in which Zacchaeus is perched or dangling or whatever he is, because it's hard to be dignified when you're in a tree, he looks into this tree the same way that he looks into the other fig trees in Matthew and Mark. But when he looks into this fig tree in Jericho, it's not barrenness that Jesus discovers, but it's fruitfulness. And it's an excellent fruit. Jesus has found fruit in the fig tree in Luke, but it's not a priest, it's not a Levite, it's not a Pharisee or a scribe but it's a tax collector of all things. It's a chief tax collector. I don't know what the disciples were expecting that day, who they were expecting to meet, what they were expecting to do once they got to Jericho, or who they thought Jesus was going to pull out of that tree. But I imagine they didn't have Zacchaeus in mind. There's a vine dresser at work one who is able to take what is fruitless and barren, trees and vines, and through the special attention that only he can give, there's trees that start to be covered with leaves, and among those leaves, there's much fruit. There will be an abundance of fruit, of souls, that God will bring into the kingdom. The Lord told me this afternoon, I was already prepared to preach from this passage, but he told me this afternoon when I was in prayer that there would come a time where I would start to speak prophetically, and I I feel that that's where we're at right now. There is fruit in the trees. You need to go and check the trees. There's trees in your life. And you need to go and check the trees because there's a Zacchaeus up there who desperately wants to see Jesus. But he's got this uncontainable impulse to hide 
and to conceal himself somehow. You need to rustle the leaves some. You need to train your eyes to look for fruit. If you want to see revival and harvest, there isn't a, this isn't a word that you need to allow to, to, to pass by and wither up by Tuesday. The Holy Ghost says it's time to check the trees. You know who I'm talking about right now. There's people in your life that maybe they've known the Lord. Maybe they know all about him. Maybe they've heard of him. Maybe they've been born again and they've backslidden and they're in a prodigal prodigal state right now. You need to check the trees. I I can't move off of this right now because I want this to get stamped and imprinted onto somebody right now. You need to rustle the leaves some. You need to stop and you need to fix your eyes up. And you need to train your eyes to look beyond the leaves because there's fruit up in that tree. There's people that are hungry for God. There's people that are looking for answers. There's people that are trying their best to stay out of the public eye and see Jesus at the same time. We don't really ever grow past this. This is the maneuver we've been trying since the garden. Zacchaeus enacted it in Luke chapter 19. And there's people in our lives and in our world that are doing the very same thing. And sometimes we don't recognize that it's happening because it's happening when we're at work. It's happening when we're at school. It's happening even when we're at home. But there's people that are trying to position themselves to see Jesus. And we need to check the trees. How easy would it be to just train our eyes up there and to see that there's somebody that's ready to respond? There's fruit in the trees, ready to be located and ministered to by the spiritual person who has decided in their spirit that one is enough. One is enough. There wasn't a whole family up in that tree, but Jesus decided just like he did when he was outside of the city limits and he stopped for that fellow that was on the side of the road that was blind. When he stopped and he looked up into that sycamore tree, that one was enough. One was enough. But who's going to go to their house? Who's going to go to their house? Sometimes we can, we can check the tree. We can look past the leaves. And we might even locate and extract someone out of that tree and see God start to do something and get get them out in the open and let God start doing something in their life. But can I challenge us tonight? Who's going to go to their house after that's done? Now that once their feet are back on the ground, at ground level, once the fig leaves are out of the picture and God's starting to do a work in their life, Who's willing to go to their house? That's what it takes to make a disciple. Verse 5 says that when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw Zacchaeus, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, be quick about it and come down because I'm going to your house today. That's what it takes 
to really see God do a complete work in somebody's life. To spend time in their house. The currency of transformation is time. Jesus was able to identify him and call him out of that tree in just a moment. But when Jesus went to his house, that's where there was lasting change that happened. Every one of us in this room tonight is here because someone went to our house, so to speak, or your parents' house, or your grandparents' house. Somewhere down the line, somewhere down the line, someone identified you or a member of your family tree and they spotted you up in that tree and they called them down out of it, but they didn't stop there. They said, I'm going to go to your house. I'm going to step into the middle of your life. I'm going to spend time with you, the most valuable thing in the world. I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to come and visit you. I'm going to talk about the word of God with you. I'm not just going to pray for you. I'm going to pray with you. And there was something lasting that happened. Every single one of us, every single one of us, without exception, in the room tonight, has a story like that somewhere along the line. God, I don't ever want to be too busy for the lost. And one of, the, one of the traps we can fall into is we can free up enough time to check the trees but not free up enough time to go to the house. I believe there's going to be a revival and an outpouring of God's Spirit in this day that we've never seen before. We're going to have to do things and we're going to have to do, we're going to have to do things in ministry and do things operationally in Poplar Bluff and in Butler County that is unlike what we've had to do before. And it's not because no one's ever thought of it, and it's not because we're going to do it because it's cute or it's more fun that way. It's going to be because there's going to be such an influx of souls. There's going to be such an outpouring of God's Spirit that we're going to have to do something to facilitate the harvest that God is wanting to bring into this area. And I never want to be too busy for the lost. Jesus never was. He always stopped for the one. And here's what happened. Here's what always happens. When they saw it, I don't even know who they is. Do you ever really, do you, I mean, who is they? I don't know. But when they saw it, they complained. They said, he's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. There's always going to be complainers. There's always going to be complainers. But hear what Jesus said. Jesus said in verse 9, talking about Zacchaeus, he also is a son of Abraham. Sister Brie, if you'd come to the keys. He also is a son of Abraham. They had counted him out. They said he's a person of small spirit. 
He's a chief tax collector. He's a traitor. He's gotten rich off of it. He's a person of low character. We don't like him. We don't want to associate with him. There's no telling how long he had gone without anybody in that city having a friendly conversation with him. And Jesus looks up in the tree and calls him down out of it and goes to his house. And when the people start to murmur and complain, Jesus says, he also is a son of Abraham. He also has a future in the kingdom. He also has something that I want to do in his life. He's a child of the promise. He's got a destiny over him. And it all started when Jesus went to Jericho. And he started to check the trees. I don't know why Jesus is checking trees. (laughs) I don't know. But maybe he just knew that someone like Zacchaeus existed. Sometimes we forget that Zacchaeus exists, don't we? Sometimes we just forget. Sometimes we can get in our bubble and we can just forget that there actually exists people that are living the life that Zacchaeus lived. They so desperately want to see Jesus. But they feel like they have to hide. You know who I think probably helped Jesus that day spot Zacchaeus? You know who was there that day? The guy who'd been blind about an hour before. Who better to be the spotter than the guy who'd been blind earlier that afternoon? (laughs) What a great way to use your vision. I don't know who spotted him first. For the sake of not being controversial, I'll just say it's Jesus. But you know who I am almost certain was there that day because about an hour before Jesus had healed him and it says that the guy followed Jesus which bears to reason for me that as Jesus is going through Jericho, you know who's tagging right along in his side pocket? The guy who had been blind. And here he gets to witness Jesus using his vision to see beyond the shame and to see beyond the guilt of the fig leaves and to see beyond everything that Zacchaeus was trying to hide behind. Jesus is checking the trees and he's rustling the leaves and he's looking for someone like Zacchaeus and he finds him. Brother Dustin, why are you bringing that guy up again? Because you and me are him. <laughs> it wasn't but about, Sister Brittany, about 10 minutes ago that I was in, you know, that I was in bad shape. It wasn't no time at all. It was just, just a little way earlier down the road that Jesus found me. Jesus will turn a blind person into part of the people-finding team. And there's people all across this room, me counted among them, 
that it wasn't very long ago, I was on the side of the road and Jesus found me. But when he finds you, he takes you and he invites you to come and follow him. And he, before the day's even up, he installs you as part of the people finding team. You say, Jesus, I'm not qualified to be a part of the people finding team. I was blind 10 minutes ago. Jesus said, it doesn't matter. You're on my team now. And we find people. And we check the trees. We look for the one. We look for the one. Stand with me if you would. Preacher, why are you bringing that guy into it? I want you to know. I want you to know that you are a part of God's plan to reach the lost. Come on, that wasn't... I know everyone was in the middle of standing up, but that was true. That was an amen one. You're part of God's plan to reach the lost. To reach that person that's shackled by guilt and trouble. To reach that person that's doing the Zacchaeus maneuver. They want to see Jesus. But they're going to hide, and they're going to shield, and they're going to deflect. I think there's some saints here today who know what it's like to be saved and to be healed by Jesus and who are ready to graduate out of the roadside station, who are ready to toss aside the beggar's clothes and be a part of the team that Jesus is putting together to enter into Jericho and start checking the trees and start looking for Zacchaeus, looking for those that are hungry for God, that don't know where to turn, that aren't exactly what know what move to make, but they're looking for, they're praying, they're in the top of that tree and they're praying, would somebody just notice me? Would somebody just see me? Would somebody just recognize me and call me down out of this place and make an introduction to Jesus. We're having a revival of that kind of boldness that says I'm not satisfied with the status quo. It doesn't have to be formality and it doesn't have to be according to tradition or ritual, but it's going to be decent. It's going to be in order, but it's going to be Holy Ghost filled and it's going to be powerful and it's going to be led by the Spirit of God. We always see what we're looking for. We always see what we're looking for. You ever gotten a, a new vehicle, maybe new to you, and all of a sudden you start seeing them everywhere, driving through town, like, oh, there's a white Camry. You know, like, you see it, it's everywhere. You didn't notice it before, but you always see what you're looking for. You see what you're thinking about. Check the trees. Jesus sees the one. Can we pray right now? God, give me eyes. Give me your eyes. Can we do that? Can we lift up our hands all over this place right now? Maybe if you'd want to, you can come up around these altars. But I want this to be our prayer. Lord, just help me to see people the way you see people. Come on. Right now, all over this place. God, give me your eyes to see the one. Give me your heart, God, to have it on my mind all the time. Itarrosho toroboka, itarrosho toroboha. Itarrosho.